and welcome to the Saturday Down South podcast. He is Chris Marler. I am Connor O'Gara. Marler, over under, I don't know, three and a half hours you slept last night. Uh, under, it was zero. Wow, that is that is impressive. So, a little peel behind the onion. It's 7.45 a.m. Bama won a national championship. Oh, what, like eight hours ago, I think it became official, official, but really it was more like, I don't know, like nine and a half hours ago that Bama won a national championship and that game was over. Marler, so you have pulled an all-nighter after Bama put together just one of the most dominant seasons we've ever seen in the history of college football, and therefore you're about to put together one of the most dominant podcast showings in the history of podcasting. Oh, without a doubt. Without a doubt. Yeah, it was... um... I mean, like the game, the game ended at what, like around midnight, like you said, and then I stayed up to like one watching, just like you know the trophy ceremony, and then like some of like the post game stuff, and then after that, I was like, man, it's it's like gonna be real, real early in the morning, and I just started watching the, the game again, and um, next thing I knew, it was like five. I was like, all right, well, I guess I'll just put on some coffee. I'm up. So you already got the replay, and you already got the all twenty-two to be able to break down. You know, probably similar to Saban, watching everything to be able to dissect. All right, how can we get better from this performance? You know, what are we going to be able to do next week? You, you, you're probably one step ahead of Saban, actually, because I'm sure he he usually waits until like you know the morning after to be able right. to do that. Totally. Very impressed. Very impressed. Different feeling than two years ago after the national championship when I remember we recorded that early morning pod when you were in Santa Clara and coming off of the the Clemson loss you know it, it was a totally different feeling seeing kind of the way that 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 a game like that could just take the the life out of you and I think there were a lot of people that would go back to that and say and I saw the the freezing old the freezing cold takes tweet about I think it was Nicole Auerbach who got the tweet of uh, this is what it looks like to watch dynasty die and here we are, two years later, talking about Alabama putting together, I, I think, one of the great seasons that we've ever seen in the history of the sport. And given the circumstances in 2020, there's really not going to be a whole lot to simulate it. But we're going to get into to all of that today. I, I promise that we will, we will get to that. Got some way too early top 25 stuff as well, because don't you know, it? it's like the Black Friday of college football season are these way too early top 25s. I spent my entire day Monday putting that together only to see that there are others who already had theirs out by Monday. So that's always good. Um, so we'll dig into that a little bit as well. And we'll turn the page to 2021. But Marler, before we get to all that, I know at some point today, maybe it's after a nap, um, when everything kind of catches up to you, you're going to have a whole mess of food. And I'm just assuming that it's going to be doused in a big old pile of Texas Pete. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's pretty much the game plan. We, um, we just went back to, you know, our old ways last night and, um, I, you know, I was panicked before the game. I was real nervous. So we had to get like multiple things to drink and multiple things to eat. The only difference between the food and the drink was that all the food was was compatible with Texas Pete. It was fantastic. We just had a, a whole boatload of chicken. I just put in a, a pan, doused it in Texas Pete, threw it in the oven for about 28 minutes, realized it wasn't done, put it in for like seven more minutes, and then had a fantastic meal. So um, you do the same. Just because the season's over doesn't mean tailgating's over. Doesn't mean we can't still be grilling out on Saturdays. Um, there's a lot of stuff we can do. It's, it's going to be cold outside, so warm your, warm your bones a little bit with some Texas Pete heat. 
We just got an air fryer, air fryer in Texas Pete. Air fryer chicken plus Texas Pete, also a very, very solid combination that everyone should should try. This, this Bama team, I think what we saw last night, none of it really came off as surprising. I, I think that we went into this thinking Bama was going to put up points. That seemed like a foregone conclusion against an Ohio State pass defense that ranked 116. That wasn't really up for debate. What was up for debate was how much Ohio State was going to be able to fight back. And I don't know what the specific point was for you in this game when you realized it was over. Maybe somewhere between one of those Devontae Smith touchdowns when you realized, oh, there, there's no chance. This is this is going to be lopsided. This is going to have even the same margin of victory that the Notre Dame National Championship did for Alabama. When do you remember thinking, oh, it, it's over and there's nothing they can do? I mean, honestly... Like you started to get that feeling at the end of the second quarter, um, and also like I, I don't know, I don't, I don't feel like, for the most part, I thought everyone kind of assumed this was going to be a closer game. I, I heard like oh, a, I did, a few people sure. say that it was going to be a, like you know, I think Doring said it was going to be a blowout. I think he predicted like fifty-one to thirty-one, but outside of that, I mean, you know, and myself included, I don't think a lot of people thought it was going to be a blowout. So a lot of people were expecting a close game. Um, I think it made it that much more impressive what Bam was able to do. It, it definitely was not like I wouldn't compare it to like the Notre Dame game because it's just it was not a you know ho hum weaker opponent. Uh, I think like especially like the Notre Dame in 2012. But at the end of the first half, when Bama held Ohio State to a field goal and they go up 21-17, they go right back down the field and score. So it's they make it what 28-17. They get another stop and they go up 35-17 at the end of the first half because when it went when it was 28-17, you know, I I thought there was too much time on the clock before the end of the half. And and what mm-hmm. I was hoping was they, you know, they could do what the Patriots always do, you know, like score in the last 2 minutes and then score in the first 2 minutes coming back out um cuz Bama got the ball coming out in the second half. They were able to score again and make it 35-17 with getting the ball back. It, it felt like it might have been over at that point, but then you go to the second half and like all that for me, at least, was like, you know, wiped away when Devontae got hurt. Then Max starts to get hurt. Um, you know, there was like, there was two uh, starting defensive backs out because of targeting, and then also an injury. So I was getting a little bit worried when they pulled within fourteen. But um, yeah, like around the fourth quarter, about nine minutes left, it finally hit me. Alabama's won forty straight games. Well, now it's 41, 41 straight games when scoring a touchdown on the opening drive. I'm not saying that was the moment it was over, but goodness gracious, it looked so easy all night. And Sean Wade, the foot in the mouth comment that you knew was going to come back to bite him. You just knew it because he hasn't been very good all year. And for whatever reason, he's been crowned. He's been given this this pass as this All-American just because of preseason confirmation bias, which hasn't really played out. And Devontae Smith took his lunch money. I mean, at each and every point, when he wasn't defending in the slot and he actually had to go over the top, it was ugly. And it felt like one of these games later on where you just kind of look back and you say to yourself, man, what was it going to take for Ohio State to actually be able to play a 60-minute game against this Alabama team? Because we talked about it coming in. Was this going to be, oh, they have nothing left in the tank type of a performance from Ohio State? And I don't. I think that dismisses what Alabama did. Yeah, so I, don't, I don't. I don't like saying that. 
I think it's a bummer, obviously, that Justin Fields wasn't at, you know, max, like, full-on. You know, it would have been fun to kind of see him in the mode he was in against Clemson, but he wasn't in part because of what Bama was doing. I thought they bracketed coverage really well downfield. Chris Olave's name wasn't really heard a whole lot until late. Garrett Wilson wasn't stretching the field like he usually does. And also the Trey Sermon injury probably didn't help matters, but Master Teague was still really good in that game. And I, I saw the running lanes there. Like, Trey Sermon wasn't going off for 200 in that game had he been able to stay out there. But, you know, I, I think that this was an Ohio State team where I had I had definitely moments during this where I thought this was what it looks like when you go through the grind of playing all of these games. And now you're hitting that point where, yeah, you got to deal with some injuries. And Bama dealt with those injuries too. Bama had to basically be without their best player the entire second half of that game after he torched them in the first half. But I, I just thought that Ohio State was was overmatched and it was going to take the Clemson effort just to stay on the field but even that man I, I don't I don't think that really would have been enough I think Alabama's best was better than Ohio State's best yeah yeah I don't even know why this is in question right now Connor like like I get all the surrounding circumstances that came into this game and like you know there's a, a I think like 13 guys out in this game because of COVID I, I think two of them were starters uh, and one was like a well and Three, if you include the kicker, um, that obviously I'm sure helped. Uh, you know, Bama's, you know, that like swung in Bama's favor obviously last night. But make no mistake about it, this is all we heard from the committee all season, from from Ryan Day, from Justin Fields, from Ohio State fans nonstop. This whole Ohio against the world attitude, this whole, you know, we're we're underdogs and look what we did against Clemson, like we're hitting stride. Like I haven't heard anyone say. Yeah, this is what happens when you get through like the, the meat of your schedule and, and you get injuries. Because everything I heard was they're hitting stride. Like, uh-oh, like we saw what they did against Clemson. You know, it looks like they're hitting stride. And it and the you really take a step back and look at it, and we don't have like, you know, recency bias on it, um, or be like a prisoner of the moment from that that sugar bowl. Justin Fields has been erratic all season long. Like I mean, all season long. And, you know, I I think it was was it your brother or was it Dustin Schutte that was like after game three, like would be the Heisman vote. And then like you still have other people that that really are hellbent on this whole like, you know what, the defense is a lot better than we give them credit for. That offensive line is starting to click. That offensive line had given up 20 sacks in seven games against the Big Ten. I mean, so when you take a step back from, from just the Clemson game, you look at Justin Fields, and I said it on the podcast last week, if you put pressure on him, he's not the same quarterback. Justin Fields leads the country in completion percentage from a clean pocket, eight over 81%. You put pressure in his face, it goes down under 50% of just his adjusted completion percentage and 35% for his actual completion percentage. I think Bama was not only like they, they outmatch, not only was Ohio State outmatched, um, they weren't as talented. I think it spoke volumes about how, why they shouldn't have ever been in the first place. And they were kind of propped up by all the, all the people surrounding them that really had built it, like had bought in to their own bias from like the preseason or, or whatever, to, whatever else you want to call it. But at, Bama absolutely dominated this game from start to finish. The play calling from Steve Sarkeesian was oh my unbelievable. Like we're in game 13. There's double the tape that, that Ohio State was able to watch. And, and there were plays throughout most of the night that I had never seen. Like not even like a wrinkle off of something else like from earlier in the season. His ability to be that creative and to get Devontae Smith in space when everyone on the field knows the ball is going to him. Yep. And and when you look at, like, you know, first off, Justin Fields, they said he was, I think, 
95% uh, going into the game. I don't mm-hmm. know if that's true or not. I don't think it would have mattered either way. Um, yeah. and, and when you look at like the Trey Sermon thing, I think that definitely hurts, hurt me because I bet on his, his uh, what do you call it, his, his prop over 102 yards. But all that being said, you look at Bama dominated this game from start to finish, and when you outgain an opponent by 280 yards, that is fourth in the country in, in, uh, in yards per game. That is putting up, you know, top 10 numbers in, in scoring offense as well. But Bama put up, Bama allowed only 341 yards of offense from, from Ohio State last night. That is the fewest amount of yards Ohio State has had in the game since 2017, a span of 36 games, right? Bama's 621 yards of offense was the most that Ohio State had allowed. I couldn't even find it past, past the year 2000. So at a minimum, it's the most they've allowed since Y2K, since, since the 2000 season, in a span of 258 games. That is absolute domination. It was, in every way. And I, I want to I dig into a little bit of Devontae and his legacy, because I know we, we've talked about him a lot throughout the regular season, and when you win a Heisman Trophy, of course, that's going to be a popular topic of conversation, but... The, the, the things that he did on Monday night, for those who maybe haven't paid that close of attention, I'm getting texts from like my you know my uncle, who I know probably hasn't watched a game of college football all year, saying, this Devontae kid's pretty good. Like, oh yeah, this is, this is what it looks like when you have a guy that's just on a totally different level than everyone. And that little wrinkle with the, it was a fake handoff where it looks like it's or it looks like it's going to be reversed and then he changes direction yeah. and it turns into a swing pass was chef's kiss sarkeesian stuff right there and i don't know i don't know what the future of this alabama offense holds now with expected to be bill o'brien as the new offensive coordinator that was reported by bruce feldman right at the start of that game what interesting timing that was but if the, this alabama offense doesn't hold form to what this to the standard that Sarkeesian has set, we're going to look back on plays like that and think, man, that this guy was on a different level. And it's such a testament to Sarkeesian that, and to Devontae that everybody, like you said, everybody knows he's getting the football. And he got 13 catches for 215 yards and three touchdowns in the first half. You had people like Lou Holtz, who you know Lou Holtz is as good of a football mind as there is, and all of his opinions are perfectly accurate, and he's always spot on with all of his takes, and he's very you know modern in the way that he thinks. Lou Holtz was saying that that Heisman winners never p- perform well in their bowl games. He's usually not, despite, I mean, it's not wrong. I mean, Joe Burrow last year was, That's was fair. pretty decent. Yeah. I mean, before um, that, though, that was definitely a narrative. I mean, like Baker Mayfield... He had a lot. He put up a lot of numbers, but he lost. Same with Kyler Murray. Um, you know, maybe, maybe not recently. Maybe just like, you know. I mean, I, I, mean feel, I feel like that was a huge thing, like in like the two thousands at least. Yeah. It, well, that's my point is that it's outdated because since yeah. two thousand nine, five Heisman Trophy winners have won a national championship game and have looked pretty good doing it. So I, I that that whole philosophy to me was just like, wait a minute, you're you're going to go on that. Instead of, oh, Devontae Smith is facing the pass defense that ranks 116 in college football with one of the most dominant offenses we've ever seen in college football history. Devontae is going to go down, and he would have put up 300 yards in that game. There's no doubt in my mind had he been able to stay on the field. No doubt whatsoever. I think you have to put him as the best SEC receiver of all time. And I think that he's... If there's a Mount Rushmore of college football wide receivers, 
especially the way that he bookended his career, I don't know how he wouldn't be on there, given the fact that, I mean, he, he has everything. He has the numbers. He has the two national championships. He has the one of the most iconic plays in college football history, which he did as a true freshman, and arguably the best single season we've ever seen from the wide receiver position in this sport. I, I know that is this that is going to sound like recency bias. It's not. It's not at this point. You're right. It, it, it's not. But like, Devontae has to be on any sort of short list of greatest receivers in college football history at this point, right? I mean, I think that's fair. Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, he doesn't get as much love. I mean, like, he obviously has now at, at this point of, of the year and, like, after this season, and he won the Heisman, of course. But just, like, his stature. Like, I'm sure you've seen that picture of him just, like, sitting, like, all frumpy on the sideline where... He's a small like, guy. Yeah, I mean, he's, like, 175 pounds. He's not... Amari Cooper. He's not, you know, Julio. He's not Julio Jones at all. Um, you know, he he's not even like a, a a rugs guy, like from the speed standpoint, or a Waddle, or like you know, I don't want to say the route running with Judy, but I mean, he was just always the guy that was just kind of you know, like I don't know, dismissed or cast aside because of all the other talent around him. And I don't know what his like. I don't know what his legacy is going to be like five years, ten years from now. And I don't want to get caught up in the moment because of, of what just happened and what we saw from that, that season. But when you really like break down his numbers from from not just like the season, like not just even his career, but the season as a whole. I mean, most most yards in a single season, uh, receiving yards in a single season, SEC history. Uh, most receiving touchdowns um, in a single season in SEC history. Led the country in all-purpose yards, receiving yards, uh, receiving touchdowns. I mean, he had twenty-five touchdowns this year. It just Gosh. and the kid did it all. Like I don't know. Again, like I don't know what his legacy is. But when you really, you start looking at the, like what he was able to do this season, and after Waddle went down, and and I will still maintain that Waddle was the most explosive player in the country, at, at when he went down, and and I don't I mean I don't know what Devontae's numbers would have been if Waddle, Waddle stayed healthy, but in the eight games after Waddle went down against Tennessee, seventy-two receptions, thirteen hundred yards receiving. 19 touchdowns, 19 receiving touchdowns, 20 total. Seven 100-yard games in the next eight, right? Stupid. Had two plus had two or more touchdowns in seven of the last eight games. And then you talk about what he did in the postseason, like in the last three games of Florida, Notre Dame, uh, and, and Ohio State, which which is, I mean, Florida's defense was trash, but like, you know, three top 10 teams uh, at the time he was playing them and, and two defenses that... I know the Ohio State pass defense is not great, but we definitely thought that that, that defense was going to be better than that. 34 receptions, 529 receiving yards, which is 176 yards per game and eight touchdowns. Eight touchdowns in three games. The kid did everything. He did everything that was asked of him, and, and he also missed He missed a, uh, basically a half a game yesterday. Gosh. I mean, I, I've, I've seen very few players who can take over like that and it just felt unfair it felt unfair for him to be out there not from just a speed standpoint but it's everything it's the route running and even the the play that he makes on the sideline where it's just it's an indefensible play where he toe taps it and i think it was an nfl catch because i think he got both both feet in bounds he does things like that that we're 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 spoiled as college football fans i didn't think that we would see a season quite like jamar chase's for a long time 
I hate to say it, LSU fans, and I, I don't mean to be that guy, but that was a better season than what Jamar Chase had. It, it yeah. just was. And there's a reason that we're talking about him as the first wide receiver to win a Heisman Trophy in 29 years. You, at one point of this game, said it's going to take someone else oh, yeah. besides him Man. stepping up. Well, I've been saying that all season. Like, I just, I, I keep yeah. thinking at some point, like, you were going to have to have, like, why, why the hell? I don't know who who 20 or 32 is. I think 20 is Warner. But if you have some slow-ass Big Ten white <laughs> linebacker that you're going to put on Devontae, like, I, I don't, like, it blows my mind. It just, it blows my mind. And, like, you know, you guys know my defensive uh, coordinator stats from 2008, that that middle school team. I mean, we were mm-hmm. awful. So I don't, I'm, I'm sure that these guys are smarter than I am. But I don't understand how you don't do a better job of, of, of covering him. I mean, that's also a credit to not just his talent, but, but Sarkeesian just drawing up plays like that. Um, you know, and I will say, first off, if anybody missed the tweet, I got ratioed so hard um, from Bama fans especially. That was Bama's going to have to have someone else, whether it's receiver or tight end, step up. And it can't just be Devontae Smith uh, if they want to win this game. And could, I mean, and then you look at the end of the first half, and Devontae Smith had 12 catches for 215 yards, three touchdowns, which were all, all I think, national title or, or at least cultural playoff records. Um, and he did it in the first half. He had outgained Ohio State's entire team by himself. Silly. Just silly. And Devontae being out there and having the performance that he did sort of took away from the the Jalen Waddle storyline a bit where Jalen Waddle uh, goes out there and it, it's it's obvious I mean he's yeah. he's not back to close to 100% you see him limping off an incredible moment though for him to be able to step on that field again and you hear the cheers and reduced capacity crowd obviously that made a lot of people nervous and there were people like AJ Brown and Pat Mahomes saying man you got nothing to prove they don't need you to win this game get off the field but that's just that's the competitive nature and I thought he probably provided a huge emotional lift for that team I again I, I don't know how much he was really needed in a game like that where they win by 28 points and it's clear Ohio State can't cover anyone but I, I thought that was just really cool to see when we've talked a lot this year about guys who aren't playing guys who didn't play in bowl games guys who said at the end of the season we're not in contention for a national championship therefore I'm, I'm going to bow out and a lot of people would have been fair in assuming that Jalen Waddle was going to uh, hang it up in terms of his college career and for him to be able to work through all that rehab because that's the stuff that we don't see there was a day-by-day plan with this target date always in mind for Jalen Waddle to get back and there didn't have to be like there, there really didn't have to be and he could have looked at this situation saw this offense is doing perfectly fine without me they scored more points per game after he went down and he could have just said, you know what, I'm not going to rush this. I want to be able to make sure that I'm at full go for all the pre-NFL draft stuff. But he didn't let that happen. And I, I would be remiss if I didn't say that I wasn't darn impressed with a kid who worked that hard to get back when he's got millions on his doorstep. Yeah, I mean, I was shocked. Um, I, I was obviously very excited for it because he's maybe my favorite Bama player, that, I don't know, in the last very long while. Jalen Waddell... I hate that we never got to see him. I, I hate that we got like this season cut short because he was so electric already in his first two years and had so many big plays. Like you talk about like the punt return against LSU or like the game he had against Auburn or even that, that long touchdown 
um, in the SEC championship game as a freshman, but we never got to see him take like, you know, center stage almost. And I, I hate that we missed out on that. I didn't think he was ever going to play again, but I think it does speak volumes to just this team as a whole, because Saban said last night, as soon as he was uh, getting, I guess like what, like, you know, carted off the field and then and put in the back of that ambulance, one of the first things he said was, I want to make it back in time for the national championship game. And he did. Yeah. I think, yeah. And I think that, you know, I don't, I don't know if I, I'm sure Bama would have won this game without him. Um, but also he came up really, really big uh, in several moments, like the, the, the third down catch. And then the first drive of the game um, mm-hmm. had another first down later, uh, I think like in the third or fourth quarter. And especially when you have Devonte out for the rest of the game, um, you know, I, I just thought it spoke volumes about his, his character, like his, um, just competitiveness, I guess, as, as a whole. And I, I thought it was awesome. I, I hope that he is fine moving forward because it, it was noticeable that he was not a hundred percent. Like, and, and I was so pumped and they, they showed like in the pregame on SEC network, he was like running sprints and like everyone got super hyped about it. And then they saw the actual sprint. And I was like, Oh, not yeah. great. Yeah, not not fully right, but looking forward to whatever's next for him when healthy. Man, he's he's so fun to watch. Guy who was definitely healthy on the other side of the ball, Christian Barmore. Jesus. My goodness, did that man make himself some money? We knew he could rush the passer. That was never in doubt. I thought that play where he had that TFL. I think it was on fourth down. Even it was he blew up the backfield, and you're just like, this dude is a freak of nature, a redshirt sophomore, and. I don't want to assume that he's off to the NFL, but if that's the last game of his college career, goodness gracious, I thought he looked like an animal. I mean, that was that was the closest imitation to, to, to a Quinn and Williams type of yeah, performance that's exactly what I, was gonna that, I say. think that I think we've seen. Tip of the cap to him because after he started off the year not healthy, and you're kind of wondering is is he going to have this type of year? Man, he went out on top. There are a lot more people who are well aware of who Christian Barmore is. Yeah, that was that was my exact uh, thought last night. I think I said it even to Ali. It was like he made himself some money last night. Um, yeah, yeah, and it was that also was was really big. LeBron Ray, like finally back from injury, he he had a good yeah. game. Um, yeah, I thought Barmore was was an absolute force on the uh, on the defensive line, and he needed to be because Will Anderson was getting held like a, a effing newborn baby all night, <laughs> and it was never even called. But. Um, yeah, like there was there were a lot of a lot of individual I guess moments, but it really it was cool to see at the end of it and just how much this team meant to Saban because I don't know if you saw this in the post game, but he was smiling almost the entire yeah. interview and and used mm-hmm. the word love, how much he loved these guys. Um I'm not sure if I'm even supposed to say this, but I, I will just say it anyway. Can confirm that um he cried afterwards because this this one meant more I think than than uh you know, even some of the, like, I think all of the other ones, just because of the nature of this season in general. And and I do want to say one thing real quick about, to LSU fans. I don't know if this was a better team in 2019 LSU. I do think it's, those two are, are the best two seasons I've ever watched. And and there's a lot of reasons why you could make an argument for, for either. The one thing I'll say about Jamar Chase and the season he had versus Devontae he also had to share a lot, a lot of touchdowns and yards with Justin Jefferson. Cool. So I, 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 you could, you could still give the, uh, you know, the nod to to Jamar Chase on that. But um, just trying to be objective there. The the rest of it, I mean, you know, like Najee, Najee scored his, like this is this blows my mind. And and when you, they, 
I know Bama gets like the the majority of the headlines and and you know and they're talked about more than any other team, especially on like in the SEC. And there's a reason for that. But when you just like throw in like a like, oh by the way, Najee Harris just set the SEC single season record for touchdowns uh, with thirty. You're like what? Like I'm what? Third of thirty in thirteen games. In two of those games, he didn't score a single touchdown. And he wasn't a, a, a finalist for the Heisman. It just there were so many things about this offense that were just mind blowing. And Najee didn't even have to watch or worry about his ankle getting rolled up that on the rest brutal. of his touchdowns after the first one. So good for good for him for being able to to not let that moment sort of get the best of him when you can tell he was really fired up. But he was incredible again. And yeah, the catch out of the the backfield that he made where he just put the I don't know put his foot in the ground and. I mean, Tough Borland, I think it was Tough Borland or Pete Warner, whoever it was, just went right past him, didn't have a chance. I mean, that was that was really ugly. But the dominance, it's something that when whenever we see it like this, the natural thought is to compare it to dominance of the past. And I know we did that a lot last year with 2019 LSU. I don't know if you can really simulate if you can really say definitively one way or the other with 2019 LSU versus this 2020 Alabama team. All I know is I would love to see those two teams play. I, I, I would love it. I, I think it'd be a lot of fun. Don't get me wrong. I, I think that both teams are worthy of being considered all-time greats. I've been saying for the last year that LSU is the single greatest season I've ever seen. And this year, with how different it was, it's hard to definitively say when you had so many of these different factors, not having non-conference play, <clears throat> and all the things that, that Alabama and everybody in college football had to, to deal with in the offseason with COVID testing and you know contact tracing and you know all of that stuff. You're right. It, it does feel different in 2020. And this is a season that we're not going to forget. This, this Bama team, I think, because of that and because of the dominance that it was able to sustain... I think that this is the most impressive Saban team that we've seen. Obviously, the first time that Alabama has gone undefeated under Saban since 2009. Yeah, that's that 2000, crazy. The 2009 team, though, won against Power 5 teams by an average of 14.4 points per game. This Alabama team, on Monday night, their average margin of victory actually dropped from 29.2 to 29.1 against Power 5 competition because yeah. that's all they faced this year. And if you even go back and compare it to any of the other title teams, the best margin of victory that any of those teams had was 2012, which average margin of victory of 24.7 points per game against Power 5 competition. That that team won eight games by three scores. They also lost that game late in the season. Johnny Manziel, of course. Barely beat LSU, barely beat more. Georgia. Yeah. This team won 11 games by three scores or more. It's stupid. Saban had never beat 12 Power 5 teams in a season. He just beat 13. Right. I don't know, because of the nature of the schedule and once we get non-conference play back, if those things are ever going to be touched. But those those are the reasons why I look at this this season and knowing that this was an offseason where I think at one point, I mean, I was I was saying... You know, this is this is in a way it could be considered a blessing in disguise for some of these lesser teams because the the Alabamas, the Ohio States, the Clemsons of the world can't rely on those all world facilities if players can't be at those all world facilities and if they have to be kind of on their own for some of this stuff because you're not getting a full spring, then maybe that'll even the playing field out a little bit. No, 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 no. That that did not happen and. 
Bama was uh, a team that kept its foot on the gas. And I think that even Saban smiling at halftime, he did what he could to try and hold back a smile, I thought, at the, during the halftime interview of that game, was starting to, everything was starting to come together and realizing that this team was, as you said, appreciated for all that it did and how consistent it was. And it was the epitome of everything I think Saban has ever wanted in a team that didn't let any midseason injury to Jalen Waddle or a pandemic even get in its way. And this 2020 team is going to have a place in history that I think will stand the test of time. Yeah, I mean, and I, like I know there's some people that, that disagree with that and think that like there should be like an asterisk, like if you know during the season or whatever. And I'm gonna explain to you why they it, it shouldn't because not just the offensive numbers. I mean, the offensive numbers are, are just stupid. Just I mean, just absolutely stupid. You have Devontae's numbers that we already talked about. I told you about Najee with the SEC record, 30 touchdowns. But but like Mac, you know Mac, ending the year, and this is like uh, you know we're we're. 13, 14 months removed from the two pick six against Auburn and, and everyone saying he's a game manager and blah, blah, blah. And, and that's still going on into this year. And then you look at, at what he did throughout the season, sets an all-time record for QBR, passer rating, and completion percentage in a season. It, look, we just saw Joe Burrow do that a year ago. And then Mac Jones does it this year. Break, breaks all of two of his numbers or two of his records. Um you know, 80, 80 plus percent uh, completion percentage in, in five of the 13 games. Had a QBR rating of, of over 95 in 10 of the 13 games. Um, it was at his best against ranked teams, like averaging over 400 yards per game, 78% completion percentage, and 20 touchdowns, three interceptions. You know, and, and, and listen, like, I understand this has to be, like, probably nauseating for some people because they're just tired of the Bama thing, and I totally get it. And maybe this is the last one because they are losing a lot of talent. But when you look at start to finish, what they were able to do, and you know we talked a lot about last year with with LSU beating seven teams in the top ten at the time, um, you know of, of of their game, Bama beats six ranked teams, four in the top ten, three in the top five, three that finished in the top five, and they did so by an, an average margin of uh, twenty five points per game. Oh, I mean, it, it, like it, the top five opponents, and you know just. Just an absolutely incredible year, and and then you look at the defense. The defense gives up, like like for real. And just hear me out on this, all right? From the season as a whole, you I just told you those numbers for those big the big three. And by the way, the big three Najee, Mac, and and Devontae, took over in the playoffs. They accounted for ninety four percent of Bama's total yards in the last three games, ninety four percent, and sixteen of the eighteen touchdowns that were scored. But you talk about net like five of eleven offensive All Americans. We're from we're from Alabama. You have uh, you know sixteen major awards in college football. Bama won eight of them: best center, best lineman, best running back. I mean, like you had you had the best center snapping to the best quarterback, like and the best lineman blocking for him, handing off to the best running back and throwing to the best receiver. And the plays were being called by the best coordinator. And those were all facts from like the awards that were given. It's it's just crazy. And then on top of that. And we should have just seen it coming that this was this was their year. Didn't miss a field goal or an extra point all year. Seriously. And and they had missed twelve extra points in the last two years combined. Twelve. So I think anybody that thinks that you know this season shouldn't count or whatever, and it's not just from Bama. There were some really special seasons that we got to see this year, and and they should not go. You know they should not be dismissed or just kind of you know put on the uh, like. I, I don't. I mean, they should not be 
automatically put below if, if we're ranking them any other season like you know not necessarily what burrow did last year but derrick henry in 2015 or or you know even like the the kyler murray and baker mayfield years because what we got to see we get to see it all over college football i mean like like Brees hall incredible year at iowa state like you know obviously justin fields trevor lawrence all that kind of stuff kind of like the big three at florida that those are generational type like talents and numbers that were put up i mean it's just crazy like look what we got to see at Ole Miss and, and Kellen Mond going out on top, just like the like I think as a whole, even the kid from Tulsa Pitt Pitt had two All Americans on their defensive line with ten plus sacks. There were a lot of incredible seasons, like individually that that were had this year, and I just I hope that people don't discount that. You know how it's going to go though. If you oh, yeah. were a team that had a throwaway season an LSU, a Penn State, a Michigan, 2020 will forever be like, ah, you know, we had to deal with COVID and this and that. And if you were a team that's usually on top and you weren't this year, it's going to be dismissed and people are going to say, well, we had to deal with this, this, and this. And if... And that's warranted, to be honest. I mean, like, that's that's valid with all I the obstacles it. people had to have. I, yeah, and I get it. But at the same time... You still have to, as you always say, you got to line it up, and you know they're gonna they're gonna blow the whistle, and you're gonna have to you're gonna have to deal with that. You're gonna have to to find a way to win a football game. And uh, a Bama team that never had to miss a game because of its own COVID issues. That, that right there, not enough was made about that. I mean, we we talk about discipline and and how important it is to be able to stay on track in a year like this when. There are, I mean, temptation is, is different in a year like this. It's It wasn't the type of temptation that we think of typically for college students where it's, hey, make sure that, you know, if you go out to celebrate a win, you're not making a fool of yourself in public so that somebody can whip out their phone and take a picture of you and you can get suspended and look like an idiot. It's, hey, make sure that you're not doing stuff because of a pandemic and make sure that you're not putting yourself in position where you're putting us at risk and all of a sudden you test positive right. and then we have contact tracing. I think people will lose sight of that and we'll never truly know what it meant to be a college athlete in 2020. And that's something that we, we talked about a lot coming into this year and how different it was going to feel. This was more of a grind just because of all the testing that you have to go through. Being a college athlete and playing big-time college football is usually different when you have that Saturday to look forward to when you're playing in front of 80, 90, 100,000 people. Yeah. And this year, not having that. And even in the national championship, when you're playing in front of reduced capacity crowds, maybe that's why this Alabama team, which has not necessarily fed off of just those things, was so good at it. Because the common goal, this is going to sound really boring, truly was winning with this team. And you could say that they're that they were boring and that they didn't do things to to necessarily I say they're boring. Get well, no, I, I'm saying that the average fan, the average fan would say that Alabama dominating a national championship is boring right. and it doesn't necessarily move the needle. There is Bama fatigue. There's no doubt. But at the same time, that that sort of was exactly what it was going to take to be steady and to win in a year like this and to, to maintain that focus. And whoever was going to win the 2020 National Championship, we were going to look back on it and say, man, that team really kind of kept their head to the ground when, you know, they didn't necessarily know if they were going to play a game on that given Saturday or, you know, they could have had COVID issues, blow up their quarterback room or, you know, whatever it was. And it just didn't ever matter at all with this team. And you kind of forgot that they were the team that, you know, had the target on its back the entire year, basically from the jump. And it, it just, 
you know, we're, we're, we've said so many things about this team that I, I think are all going to, to, to live on in terms of what they were able to accomplish within this 2020 window. And, you know, even there are some that are going to say, well, you know, they didn't have nearly as good of a defense as, as some oh, of these other great damn teams. i that right now. I mean, that like, first off, defenses are like we we need to shift what what we expect like our like our expectations and like the the bars we've set for what we think a great defense is like numbers wise has to shift just with the way oh, offenses yeah. are at this point um but bama bama's defense allowed 17 points or less in seven of their nine like their last nine games they allowed over 400 yards of offense once in the last nine games Bama's only two teams was, was a lot better yeah, only two teams have more than twenty-four points against Bama all year, right. despite the fact that everybody is, is was trashing his defense and peak holding somebody who took a lot of criticism. And even going into the playoff, there are people saying, "Oh, who would be a great offense or who would be a great defensive coordinator for Bama moving forward?" We heard the Charlie Strong, Strong stuff and the yeah. Will Muschamp jokes were flying. So Kevin Steele was rumored as a potential candidate, and yeah, I know, but Bama just did did not matter with this team. So, um, real quick before we move on, and the last thing we were going to say about Alabama, and just to be clear, this was the only game that was on. That is why this was focused on this game and this team. But when you like the most impressive part of this team, I think for me as a fan, even right, because this is like a dream season. Honestly, looking back on it, it didn't feel that way throughout the entire year. Like it, it did not at all. But you know. No offense, Georgia fans, but like I thought they were going to lose to Georgia. Being able to overcome that and, and come from behind, beat Georgia at home, then you know beating both your rivals by an average of thirty points, and then you talk about closing out the year with a Heisman, an incredible SEC championship game, just an awesome SEC championship game, and then and then getting to beat Notre Dame and Ohio State, and and that's like that's really what I want to, I want to focus on here for a second here, Connor, because every single one of you effing morons that tried to tell me Ohio state belonged in the playoff. I'm going to get on the soapbox one more time for the end of the year, because we were told nonstop by the committee. You know what? Like they're one of the four best teams. They're one of the four. And then we all agreed they were one of the four best teams because of their talent and, and, you know, and confirmation bias from like our preseason stuff. And then on top of that, what they did against Clemson, this team lost 52 to 24. 52 to 24. Gave up the most yards they've given up in a minimum 21 years. Gained the least yards they've, they've gained in three years. And they lost by the same exact amount of <laughs> points as Texas A&M. And then you start looking at those numbers. And I don't like Stuart Mandel said yesterday, he's like, oh, we're going to have to hear about this nonstop about how they're going to compare, you know, if, 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 if the uh, final score is 52 to 24, they're going to compare this to A&M nonstop. Yeah. Because a lot of you idiots, like like national pundits and people from the like, no offense, but like Midwest and like, you know, Big Ten country, were adamant that this was different. We've already seen we've already seen that game. Like, this was worse. This was worse. They gained a hundred less yards of offense. Justin Fields looked looked awful. Jake Fromm looked better against Alabama than Justin Fields did. So once again, like I listen, I understand the Bama Bama fatigue is real, and and I totally understand why. Totally get it. I I, I grew up as a Braves fan and Red Sox fan, and I hated the Yankees, and I still do. I, I totally understand it. But the way to fix like the excitement level and like you know the ratings have been down year after year. The way to fix the playoff and make it more fun for all the fans isn't necessarily trying to, you know, watch Bama lose. It's 
fixing the playoff as a whole because there was no reason that team was ever allowed in that game. And in Texas A&M, Cincinnati, like any of those teams, Oklahoma would have been more fun for, for all the fans. And I said at the beginning of the year, if there was ever a year to expand the playoff just for one year, it was this year. And so I, I hope moving forward, they figure out a way to to get off of these like, you know, like I hate I hate to keep using this phrase, but the confirmation biases from like all the preseason rankings, they have to figure out a way to make this more fun, enjoyable, and also accessible for everyone involved in college football. Alabama ends up winning that game by 28 points. And Georgia fans who are listening to that with the Jake Fromm, Justin Fields thing, you, that, that, that earned you some points right there. <laughs> I mean, I, I did a side-by-side last night on, on uh, like a, a tweet from SDS. Like, I mean, like, listen, Fromm's numbers in the national championship game as a freshman were not great. Fromm's numbers in the SEC championship game... Much better, yeah. Like, tw- tw- like over 300 yards, three touchdowns, zero interceptions. I, I mean... I'm not saying he's a better quarterback than Justin Fields because he's not. But when it mattered most against that team, one of them showed up. You know the part at the end of Mean Girls where um, she's handing out, she wins the um, spring fling uh, queen. I think that's what it is. And she's handing out the pieces of the crown to everybody. Bama last night, after it beat Ohio State by 28 points in the national championship, could have handed out pieces of the crown to Mizzou, um, and I'm sure, why not? You, you also lost by 28 points, that's fine. Um, Ole Miss, you are worthy. Georgia, you get a piece of the crown. Um, sorry, no Tennessee, no Mississippi State, no Kentucky, um, no Auburn, uh, no LSU, no Arkansas. Florida, you get a piece of the crown. Notre Dame, you get a piece of the crown. You, ha- you, you kept it within 17 points of Alabama. I saw there were a lot of people saying, hey, we gave our team gave Alabama a much closer game than Ohio State did, and and they're not wrong. They're absolutely not wrong because that that did not feel very close at all. And I think Florida fans especially were like, "Hey, y'all need to remember we kept it within six of Alabama." And that's yeah. gonna be that's gonna be something that they'll probably talk about for for. I a mean, while. Georgia played a better game against them and still could have won that game with and like a, a a an injury lawyer at quarterback. I mean, like that that is. I just, you know, I, I obviously do not like the Big Ten, and I think especially this year, the way they handled everything, I I, I thought it was a joke that, you know, they were even accepted into, into getting into the playoff. But, I I mean, it's it's only worse moving forward for me because when you have set, like we have six games, I'm sorry, seven games before the national championship, and you have five before your, your conference championship, and, and four of them are against two win teams, it's just like – don't tell me the games matter and then and then put a team like that in the national championship game. And listen, Bama was a fantastic team and could have done it to anybody, but that's not what the national championship is supposed to be or the playoff. Fair enough. Fair enough. Well, we can turn the page to 2021 just because this is this has become the Black Friday of, of college football coming out with the way too early top 25 for the upcoming season. And for what it's worth, for what it's worth, these rankings, in my opinion, should not be based on how we think a team will finish the upcoming season. This is based on if you roll them out onto the field with the information that we know, which is heavily weighted on what we saw in 2020 and of course incoming 
transfers and recruiting classes and new coaches and you know seniors who are coming back all those different things are factored into this and this is subject to change because we still don't know with the nfl draft deadline who's going who's staying and with this extra year of eligibility thing this is all over the place so i'm going to run through i'll run through like I'll do it kind of how they do the the ranking show, right? Where they they run through like six or seven of them, and then they stop. And then if there's any big takeaways from that, we can we can hit on that. Is that good? So then I'm not going sure. through just twenty five through one. All right. So these are uh, and again, this is just this is what I came up with on on Monday. This is this is just based on on what we've seen so far. This I'm not saying that this is exactly what Marler thinks. I'm sure everybody who listens to this will will disagree with at least one thing significantly. So uh, again, I understand that. All right, number 25, Liberty Flames, of course, Malik Willis. Um, 24, I have Ole Miss. 23, the Raging Cajuns of Louisiana. 22, Northwestern. 21, Oklahoma State. 20, Penn State. Any major discrepancies in, I, in that? No, I don't. I, no. Okay. 19, Wisconsin. 18, a Texas team that is going to be coached by Steve Sarkeesian. Oh yeah, good for Texas. Texas won last night as well, right? I think they they were they were sitting there at home watching that game, thinking about all the different concepts that Sark is going to draw up for for that team and how it'll look totally the same as Alabama with historically good talent. I'm sure it will. Number seventeen, Indiana. First time in 52 years that would be if Indiana were to get into the top 25 to start the year. Number sixteen, Iowa. This is a weird one. Number fifteen, LSU. Number 14, Oregon, 13, USC, 12, Florida, 11, Miami. Actually, let's, let's stop. Are there any major discrepancies before we do the top 10? No, this, this honestly is kind of like, I feel like that episode of The Office where they did the, the tree countdown and they started from 30 instead of like five. Okay, um, all right, fair enough. So you're, you're good. I, I, the only one I don't, I wouldn't agree with is Florida just because and no offense to Florida fans, they just lose so much um, off of this year's team. Yeah, lose lose a lot on offense, obviously, for sure. There's there's no doubt about it, and that's why they're not top 15. I, I gave them that benefit of the doubt just because three consecutive New Year's Six Bowls, and yes, despite the fact that they retained Todd yeah, Gratham, Zachary, Zachary Carter, Bretton Cox, Kyrie Elam going to be back for that defense, which has to be better, one would think. One would think. Um, all right, top 10. UNC, who, yes, loses like Javante Williams, Michael Carter, Deami Brown, Chesterop, but then returns, I think it's like they have... Um, they return 18 starters. Yeah, like 18 starters with Sam Hall. UNC deserves to be a top 10 team to start the year. Number nine, Cincinnati, um, which would be the highest start ever for a group of five team in the playoff era. They face next year... Without Marcus Freeman, interestingly enough, they face Notre Dame. They also face Indiana. That playoff path is there. Speaking of Notre Dame, I have the Irish at number eight. I have Texas A&M at number seven. This is the one that's going to that, that might get some looks. And I might have to explain this. I have Iowa State at number six. I would yeah. have them even higher, to be honest. They, they returned 18, and I think they returned 39 or 37 of their 44 on their 2D from the bowl game. It, it's absurd. Iowa State is loaded with returning production and Matt Campbell back. Number five, Ohio State. Number four, Oklahoma. Wait, they get Brees Hall back too. Yeah, and Brock Purdy. Crazy. And Charlie Kohler, their, their tight end. The Big 12 yeah. Defensive Player of the Year, Mike Rose. Yeah, a lot of talent coming back for Iowa State. Um, number five, Ohio State. Number four, Oklahoma. Number three, Georgia. Number two, Alabama. Number one, Clemson. 
little bit boring, I realize, at the end. And I understand Clemson loses Travis Etienne, Trevor Lawrence, of course. We're still waiting to see kind of what's going to play out with those receivers. But holy cow, does Brent Venables return a ton of talent in that yeah. defense, especially in the front seven. And when you're a team that, you know, you've gone to six straight playoffs now, I think, you know, being able to start at number, at least at number three for Clemson sort of sort of makes sense. Um, getting Skalski back is also really important for that. So I, Yeah, that kid is not that great. But yes, um, it probably is. I, you know what? I'll throw in a couple here um, and, and just say... I don't want to do like a full top 10, but but teams that absolutely should be in the top 10 to start the year, um, Iowa State, North Carolina. I would I would probably have Iowa State. They won't be top five, but that you they probably should be. Um, I don't hate that at all. Yeah. I, I, I was like, when, when I was going through this yesterday, I was like, wait, they have this guy back. They have this guy. Oh, my gosh. This guy announced he's coming back. I, I was sipping the, Ohio, the, the Iowa State Kool-Aid more than the selection committee, which I didn't think would be possible. Yeah. Um, I would probably throw indiana in there because they returned 19 starters um and i'm big on that uh usually for what do you call it uh, coming back from uh i guess like the the year before and they had a good mm-hmm. season this year um i don't i mean a and m they lose so much on that offensive line I, I would not throw them in there i think the if there's a fringe team from the sec that'll be around there it it would be lsu just because they were so young yeah. um and then top five i would say Let's see here. Um, what did you have? You had Bama. Like, I would have. I don't think I would have Ohio State in there, to be honest. Um, Clemson would be three. Oklahoma would be four. I would put Iowa State at five. Um, at two, I would put. I would put Bama. I'm sorry. I would put Clemson at two and Bama at three. And at one, and Ooh. I know I feel like I do this every year, but when you return nine on offense. With with a quarterback like the, like they have, and you return both coordinators, five on defense, and just stockpiles of talent everywhere, Georgia would be my preseason number one. Let's get the hype train rolling. Let's get it. I mean, rolling. they have they have so much talent at the, like finally uh-huh. at the skill position, like you know, a receiver especially. They are going to be really really good. Most underrated announcement of returning, James Cook for Georgia. That dude is special when he is on the football field. Yeah, I think Georgia will start off. I think Georgia definitely deserves to start off with the top three, a top three ranking. And I think they could get first place votes in the AP poll. Getting all the way up to number one might be a little bit more difficult when the Bama hurdle still exists in the fashion that it does. But yeah, there there are going to be a lot of people sipping the Georgia Kool-Aid this offseason. And last thing I'll say on this, they won't start the year, obviously, very high, just because of the nature of preseason rankings. But if there was a team to finish in the top 10 um, from the SEC, Ole Miss. Mm. I think Ole Miss is going to be really, really good next year. Like, I mean really good next year. If they can get, like, you know, above average like play from their receivers, returning 17 starters and Matt Corral. Oof. Yep. Got to replace Elijah Moore, but, man, I, I think defensively is, is where you see the – uh, a significant uptick, I would hope. Yes, I'm not very confident in their coordinators, but Otis Reese, Momo Sonogo coming back for that team is going to be, I think, really important. And they do still have a lot of talent at receiver for Matt Corral to work with. I don't hate that at all. Too, tough division to, to work through and all that, but there will be a lot of hype in Oxford as well yeah. this offseason. All right. Thank you for everybody who has stuck with us this year, despite the fact that it's been 
herky-jerky season, not knowing if games were going to be played, uh, having cancellations galore. It's been a bizarre, bizarre year in, in pretty much every single way. And go figure that Alabama football continues to be the constant. So thank you to everyone who has listened to an in-season podcast. We're going to be doing a lot of stuff throughout the offseason. So make sure that you're still subscribed or make sure if you're not subscribed, you definitely subscribe to us. Make sure you follow us on all forms of social media at Vern Funquist, at SDS, at the SDS pod, at CJ O'Gara on Twitter. If you have not joined our Facebook group, Saturday Down South Podcast on Facebook, go sign up for our newsletter, Saturday.Football, and get all your great off-season content there. TBD in terms of what we're going to be doing next, but we're hopefully going to be getting into some big picture type of stuff, uh, some some of the, the bigger storylines this off-season as well. Maybe even do some a couple of these little cleanup the, the 2020 season and look back on some of the some of the great moments that we've had as well. Um, but TBD on what our schedule is going to be moving forward. Hopefully this will tide you over for a little bit and all those preseason top 25 rankings, I'm sure will do the trick as well. Marler, any closing thoughts as we put a bow on 2020? This is a really, really good year for the SEC. Um, I, like, I don't want to call out the teams that probably didn't achieve that much, but 11 of the 14 teams have a, a really, really... Um, like there's a lot of positives, a lot of positives from for teams going into next year. I, I, I'm, I'm excited. Don't think Tennessee is one of those poor Tennessee fans. It's going to be okay. We're going to get through this together, and I, I promise we're going to be there for you. There are better days ahead, maybe. And you know what? Honestly, ball Twitter might not even be as bad as Ohio State Twitter. If I've come to find out. So. True. This is true. This is true. All right. One last time for the 2020 season, Marler. What do we need to remember? It might mean too much, guys. Talk to you guys soon.